Well, and we are live. Hi, everybody. I'm Dustin Coiner, talking motorbikes episode tonight with an absolute fucking legend, Robert Ward. What's up, Mr. Ward? Hey, guys, what's up? Listen, what's up? look at this guy. Like, he's, <laughs> you're, you're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, man. So, um, you know, you've, you've been around for, you, how long have you been in the paddock? Since 97. 97. Yeah. Wow. 26 years. It's been a while. Yeah. Okay. Well, of those, how many of those have you been Bobby Fong's crew chief? (laughs) I I think we're on seven now. (laughs) Like, how is it? Do you like roll the dice and hope it works out and you end up with Bobby every time? Is it like rolling doubles on Monopoly? Like, how do you? Bobby's just so much fun to work with. I mean, he's always got a smile. He always gives you like everything he, he doesn't leave anything on the table he he puts it all out there and you know what you're going to get with him uh, yeah so it, it's awesome to work with him yeah so uh, you know let's talk a, a little bit about your history you know you've um you said you've been in the paddock for however many years 20 26 yeah. years 26 seasons in the in the professional racing paddock road racing mm-hmm. so and you, you, your first gig was with Muzzy, is with that Muzzy, yeah. Muzzy Kawasaki? So they, wow. uh, they originally hired me to come in and I don't know if you remember the Muzzy Raptor or not, but we would yeah, dude. brand new ZX-7s and build these really cool street or race bikes with them. And uh, they ended up, they're like, hey, we want you to go to a race with us and uh, help support Doug Chandler. <laughs> You're like, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, and so... You know, the whole team takes off and, and I stay at the shop and work. And uh, then the, I don't know if you know Doug Meyer or not, but he he comes in and says, all right, we're going. And we jump in Rob's private plane and off to, uh, off to, off to the races. For my first race. And I thought, man, it, I've died and gone to heaven. This is so much so fun. So your first race was in 97 yeah. at Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. Okay. That little <laughs> dust bowl in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds. So how how long did you work on the Muzzy program? I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch. How long did you work on the Muzzy program? So I was at Muzzy's for just over two years. I I kind of packed up my life here in California and moved up to Bend, Oregon, and and did all that. And I, I learned a lot. Worked with Gary Medley and just so many people that had come over from had been here from the world championship and stuff and yeah learned so much but uh then i got hired as a a full-time race mechanic just strictly for racing with arian so i kind of packed up from there and down to la went back to socal huh yeah yeah right on yeah so you know like the only thing i know about bend oregon i think that's like where the last blockbuster is Actually, it is. Yeah, I think yeah, so. A, yeah, you know, it's a small town, but I kind of grew up in a small town, so I, I didn't. Mind yeah, it. it was a just beautiful area, mountains and all the stuff. Of great places to ride. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So you know, what's your day job like? You know, because I know you're. I mean, I don't think you're a full time crew chief guy. You know. Like, no, I, I think I you're a fly-in just, dude, right? Yeah, yeah. There's just too few full-time race gigs anymore, or, or I, I try to have one, you know. 
but right. uh, I'm, I'm a dealership mechanic. I, I love twisting wrenches and I go do that every day and it's, it's like I'm not even working. So you, it's a lot of fun. Nine, nine to five or at a dealership? Seven to four, basically. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, so you're basically the guy everybody hates, right? Like everybody sure. talks yeah. shit about the dealer mechanic, right? right, right? right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's great when customers come in and they try to argue with you that, you know, they, they know more about their whatever than. than well, their buddy said like, they read it on the internet. I read it on know. the internet. Right. So, yeah. You know, whatever. I just kind of laugh and <laughs> turn them over to the manager and say, hey, this is your job. You handle that. And I go back yeah. and turn their wrenches. So, you know, that you, you must have a super cool boss to like be cool with you just punching out like for every couple of weeks you're on the yeah, road. That, when all I year long. At my, at my current job, I had, I had kind of stepped away from racing for a little bit. And, uh, you know, I had been talking to this place for several years ahead of them hiring me and me racing was always the, the big holdup. If you're going racing, we can't hire you all of this. So I had quit racing, got hired on with them. And, uh, I, I was content just kind of being the motorcycle mechanic and, you know, doing my day, hit the gate and having a life for once. Yeah. And, uh, so Bobby calls me up and says, Hey man. <laughs> I need a crew chief. I, I'm going to race Superbike. I was like, "Yeah, okay, let's let's go race Superbike." And I went in and talked to the bosses, and they were like, "Give us give us a couple of days to talk about it." And they came back, and they're like, "Look, we're we support you. We want you to do this. We're 100 percent behind it. So go have yeah. fun." And then the Superbike deal fell through, and we ended up racing baggers. But I mean, baggers are awesome. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, I was wondering about that. You know, I, I saw you at Daytona, right? Yeah, and well, I was with the and, Triumph with Brendan Posh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, you you weren't at Daytona this year with Bobby? No, I wasn't. He, no, okay. No. Yeah. Okay. I, I had I had I, had I see you at Daytona all the time, so I'm like I think you said <laughs> you pointed out the bagger front tire to me. I think. Right, right. You're yeah. like, dude, you got to go look at that front tire. You know, yeah, they were crazy, like peeling right? up or whatever. So I was yeah. like, God damn. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I've been kind of talking to you over the years, you know, yeah. even when you were on that purple team for a little bit. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. So, um, like what, what, what attracts you to the baggers? You said the baggers are cool. Um, you know, I, I've <clears throat> been in the paddock a long time and okay. I had worked on, you know, 250s and formula extreme when they were the big bikes formula extreme when yeah. they were little bikes all the super sport classes and all this stuff and i thought man if i go back to racing i i, I kind of want a challenge I, I want something new and i had been at laguna for that first bagger race and yeah i i couldn't believe what i saw i mean i i couldn't believe these big i don't think anybody could going as fast as they were and dragging me and all of this stuff i was like <clears throat> this kind of looks like fun so uh, when when Bobby hit me up with the bagger thing, he's like, "Look, man, I can't. We can't figure out this bike. I can't go fast on it. I can't feel what it's doing. Can yeah. you can you come work with me, and we'll go do a, a test down at Buttonwell at first. So, you know, they sent me all their setup sheets and stuff, and I'm looking at them. I'm going, man, is, is there something I don't know about motorcycles? None of these settings look right to me." You know, maybe it's because they're so big and heavy or whatever, but we got to the test and 
we got him up to speed with what he had. Then we started kind of moving everything to what you expect a, a normal motorcycle geometry to be and spring rates and all that stuff. And he just kept going yeah. faster and faster. By the time we were done, I think he was six and a half seconds faster than his stabilized lap time at the beginning. So you know, we yeah, we made good progress. Yeah, I think I was there for that. Oh, yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah I was running timing and um, I, I, I was given Bobby... Um, I was, actually, I was giving uh, Declan shit because Bobby outbraked him on the bagger and when he was out on, <laughs> on his motor two bike. bike. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, it's funny yeah. because all of the years I've worked with Bobby, he's never gotten off the bike and gone, the bike was perfect. He's always got some little nitpicky thing to say about the bike. Every time he gets off the bagger, he just kind of shakes his head and goes, man, I can put this thing wherever I want it. It handles so good. Really? And it's amazing because, you know, he, uh, this last couple of times he's been riding the superbike, he gets off and he goes, man, I wish my superbike turned like this. And no shit. Like, what is that's, going on here? This that's just, not, yeah. That's, are we like an upside down world? Right, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it's a big, heavy bike, but, you know, all that weight kind of makes it track good and all of that stuff. And, you know, once you get the geometry right and you kind of set it up the way Bobby has a very particular way he wants the bike set up. He, okay. he looks for a very particular feel, and I know exactly what that is. And so I can get him to it pretty much straight away. No shit. Oh, just because you've worked with him just forever. Just because you I've worked with him You forever. just know him. There's times when he gets off the bike, and I can tell by the look on his face what he's going to tell me about the bike. Okay. We, we barely even talk about the bike anymore. He gets off the bike, and he'll just kind of give me a couple little tidbits, and I'll, he'll go, whatever, I've got to go ride Superbike now. I trust you. Go ahead. And I'll look at the data and go, okay, make some small adjustment. And he's like, yeah, that, that was it. Cool. So, you know what? Being that you've been a multi-time crew chief of the year, right? Yeah. What what does that mean? What what is what what are you responsible for? Like what how does how does that what what is the job description of crew chief? Uh, crew chief? Besides standing there with a clipboard and a pen, like what, uh, you, you know, you're the guy that reads the laptop and looks cool, I guess. I, I don't know. Right. I, I yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mastered it yet, obviously. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, really, you're just, uh, I mean, you, you're kind of in charge of having the plan, having the strategy, knowing what to do with the bike, keeping the crew focused and doing their job, dealing with the rider feedback looking over the data and uh, making the adjustments that need to be made at the racetrack. You know, it's like how, um, how important do you think it it is to have uh, a high level of technical knowledge of the motorcycle that you're crew chiefing? Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously it's important uh, to know what's going on with the bike. So you can know what change to make different brands of bikes are going to react differently to to different changes. So you just kind of got to be on top of it. You know, we're, we're pretty, uh, pretty new with the bagger thing. So we're still, I mean, we're winning races and that's, that's great. And he's happy with the bike, but we're still learning a lot and have plans for development in the future and hmm. see where it goes. And like, how, uh, how do you think your, um, your position as crew chief has evolved since you were messing around with carburetors and shit and two stroke era? <laughs> to technology now like what I mean, how is your how is your role but the, but the job is the same i mean you're still in charge of making sure everything runs right works right and 
and all of that. So whether it's carburetors or fuel injection or whatever, yeah. just, you know, got to be able to look at it and, and make sure the, call, the right call is made. And, and as far as data goes, like how, you know, data didn't seem like it was a super important thing till five minutes ago. Right. So like how, how much do you guys, how much do you rely on the data? Or how important I mean, is the data? You're always balancing between writer feedback and what the data shows, right? Because the, okay. the data may show you one thing, the writer's telling you another thing, and maybe it hits the writer's interpretation of the feeling that you have to be able to bring out of the data. So okay. it, it's super important. I, I think as a pro racer, if you don't have data, that you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. You really need to learn <laughs> how to to look at it, to use it uh, yeah. to your advantage. Yeah. I mean, the, the first thing I usually do to a, to a new rider's bike is go over and cut the zip tie off the fork and just look at their heads explode. You know? The zip tie off the fork. I hate oh, the zip God, tie I, off the fork. I, I do too. It's just the, the worst possible way to figure out if you're on the bottom or not. You should be able to feel it. And if you can't feel it, then you're not what are you on doing the on the motorcycle? <laughs> right. You're not on the bottom. So, I mean, all it takes is to be in the braking zone and hit one bump and it pushes the zip tie all the way down. But in truth, you're too high in the stroke in the middle of the corner and the bike won't turn. So you really need the data to, to show you that. Okay. That's with uh, those riders. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned the two stroke thing, like you and I were talking the other day and you said somebody was said that they thought of you as the two-stroke guy. Two-stroke guy, right? And been Aren't you the two-stroke guy? Like, yeah, right. So, 20 like, years later, I'm still the two-stroke guy. Yeah. So, like, how how did that come about? I just from the. I mean, I spent three seasons with with Rich Oliver, and you know, tuning his two-stroke. And, and to be honest, when I started with him, it was really just a fill-in role. He was between crew chiefs. He was looking for somebody. I was working at a dealership that, that sponsored him and he's, he's like, man, I really need a crew chief or at least somebody to fill in while I find somebody else. And so we went to, uh, to Sonoma together and he had this new bike. He had just come off of Superbike and all of that stuff. And he was kind of getting his yeah. feet back into the 250 world. And, and we went and we worked together and I really knew nothing about tuning a two-stroke. I knew absolutely okay. zero, but I knew how to work on a motorcycle at the racetrack. And, and, you know, Rich kind of showed me the way this is what you do. And this, you know, we're checking the air every hour and seeing the trends and showed me how to do the jetting and read the pistons and all of that stuff, mess with the gearbox to get the gear ratios right for every track we were at. And wow, it, it just evolved. And after that first race, he went back to my boss and said, look, he's my new crew chief. So you need to figure out what you're going to do when he's gone. But you know, th this is the deal. So it, that started our, our three year journey working together and it was just an amazing time. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you guys had a season where you, you, uh, won everything, right? Like literally led, unbeaten. Led every lap of every race in 2003 was the last year of the two fifties. That's, yeah. that's impressive, man. Yeah. That was impressive. So, you know, it was really, really difficult to pull off. Really? I, I mean, it, well, I mean, we it, did have it looked failures, easy on luckily, TV. I, well, yeah, it looked, it looked easy on TV. It was perfect in the race, but up until the race, it was never perfect. You know, we had oh, some okay. crashes and we had some 
you know, in, in three years, I managed to seize the thing only one time by getting it too lean. And, and luckily that was during a practice or something. So we were able to get it going right for the race. But man, I, I know it looked easy on TV, but it absolutely was very, very difficult. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, um, I, I, I think I met you at Rich Oliver's mystery school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The back in the early yeah. days. Yeah. So, you know, we were still in we're, his house. Yeah. We're still. Yeah, you were telling me it's not at his house anymore. I was like, oh, shit, I didn't know that. He's got a beautiful new facility. If uh, anybody gets a chance to go check it out, I highly recommend it. A hundred times better than what he had at his house, which, really? which was awesome. But that was awesome. The facility is like over the top compared to that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember meeting you there and, you know, obviously um, I think you would come back to, to do that 250-50 thing to work with him after the 250 GP thing was over. Mm -hmm. And um, let's see. Oh, well, there's a couple things there, right? Like I crashed, <laughs> took out, I, I basically crashed and took out Rich Oliver and he, um, he damaged his meniscus in his knee the weekend before the 250. Right. <laughs> he still went and won it. So yeah, it didn't slow him down. I didn't feel super bad, but at the right. time I was like, God damn it. Right. So, <laughs> and then the other thing is uh, Rich had these, these funny races uh, that he had set up on his bigger oval. Yeah. And I do remember kind of running you to the hay bales at one point. <laughs> it, it happens. <laughs> I remember you say, I remember you saying to me like, and, and our whole group, you're like, man, you guys are pretty competitive. <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember this or not either, but Rich used to make me start half a lap down and pointed the wrong direction. So well, yeah, because you had a cheater bike. bike. And, oh, you had the cheater bike. I, I, it wasn't necessarily the cheater bike, but Rich and I spent a lot of time before the school, I, sometimes two or three nights a week after work, riding until it was too dark to ride at his house before there was ever a school. You know, I, oh, wow. I'd never ridden any flat track at all, and that was his preferred training. And so I would just go up there and ride with him, and I was so painfully slow at first i couldn't slide the bike in i couldn't do any yeah. stuff and and after a while i was able to i don't get me wrong i could never pass rich he was just way too fast but i was at least got fast enough where i could put a little pressure on him from the back to kind of keep him motivated to keep the throttle on nice th that was a lot of fun so um did you did you do any racing very, very little. I had uh, I had a group of friends in my hometown, and they were big into racing. And I, I built their race bikes, and we built some really cool stuff. Uh, ZX7 chassis with ZX9 motors in them, with lots of horsepower and all the cool parts. And and we would go racing together. And I thought, well, this kind of looks like fun. I'll I'll give it a shot. So uh, I bought an EX500, like dirt cheap, kind of stripped it down to the frame, and built this really really nice ex500 and took it out to willow springs and kind of did the new rider school and i did exactly two races before i got the call to go move up to bend oregon and work for oh shit. so i, I you know kind so of you, cool. ha I, you I had you had uh the, did you have danny farnsworth as your new racer school guy actually i did that's yeah. awesome yeah back in the day yeah that had to yeah be probably 96, 96, 95, something like that. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. He was mine too, man. Like that dude, 
we we used to joke about him you know he's passed now yeah, it's yeah, it's that. been about 10 years basically yeah. since he passed but um you know danny had this thing where he would um somehow cram all of that that he had into like a size 29 <laughs> pants and he'd walk around you know and so it was like we called it the farnsworth shuffle you know so yeah yeah yeah, it's a good time, man. That's that's funny. Like how even today, I was talking. I was talking about. I, I talk about this all the time, really. But how how much influence that that old WSMC club has on the sport still today? And WSMC has yeah. been gone for more than ten years. Yeah. So I, I see that they're repaving it. That kind of gives me hope that maybe maybe something will come back there. They're repaving some of it, some, right? Uh, like half of it. I, I can't even imagine what the lip off the side of the track into the dirt is now if after the... Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't ridden on the big track in more than a decade, but um, they did repave the whole little track next door, um, okay. except for the skid pad. So Streets of Willow, they repaved the whole thing, and they didn't do the skid pad for some reason. I don't know why, but, you know... I, I probably haven't been to Streets of Willow since Rich had his road racing school. I don't know if you knew about that or not. I remember I him doing like something. Three or four of them. And then I think that's whenever uh, uh, the financial sector collapsed and kind of everything went to shit. And he just kind of pulled back away from that. So, you know what? It's way easier to do this thing at, at my house. Yeah, he had an R6, right? Like he had an yeah, R6 yeah. that was pretty legit. Yeah, and... no, I, no, it was bone stock. Oh, no. With him on it, it's legit. Right. right with him, I did think so. I'd like turn signals and stuff on it. And he was yeah. doing like 19s at Streets of Willow on a stock yeah. bike. I yeah, like, dude, you're insane. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, that's what happens when you work when you see a guy that actually knows how to fucking ride versus like some track day dipshit. Of all the riders I, I have worked with, I would say Rich was absolutely without a doubt the most precise rider I've ever seen. Really. I was going to ask you, like, who do you think the best rider was you worked with? I mean, it sounds like Rich Oliver so Rich far. Rich was super, super pre precise. Back when I worked with him, you could still take scooters out on the track to do the track walk instead of just bicycles or walking. And so we would go to the track and we would get set up and then we would jump on the scooter and he would take me around the track and he'd tell me things like, yeah, you see that little black rock right there? It's like, where? Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, that's my brake marker. It's like, okay, well, you see that stick over there? That's my apex. <laughs> he would pick out these little tiny things on the track, and those were his markers, and he could see that going, you know, 150 miles an hour. I don't know how the hell he did it, but uh, he was he always told me things like that. He had these little tiny markers all over the track that nobody could really see but him, but he could hit them every time. Yeah, I mean, Josh Hayes told me one time that he was using, like, a dead squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he would do crazy stuff. He's like, like oh, that. yeah, there's a dead squirrel right there. And then he, I guess I guess it got cleaned up or whatever, but he was still using, like, the blood spot from <laughs> right? So, right. yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty interesting, man. So, like, uh, let's let's kind of do a roll call. Like, like, who is it? Like, let's talk about the teams that you worked for since Rich Oliver and um, the writers. Because I know you worked with Go Show, right? Like, very, very briefly before he got – kicked out of the country well he got shit canned from the team for a dui or something right, right? right. and then immediately yeah. left back to australia really because right. so didn't did he come back and ride with yamaha race. after that i don't think so no i think that was before that all happened 
Oh, I think that was okay. his, his last ride in the U.S. was that Aryan Racing Superbike. Oh, okay. Was it Superbike or was it Stock One Thousand? It was. It was supposed before? to be Superbike, I think. Yeah. And then, okay. Yeah. That's right. It was after Yamaha, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, Go Show gets hired on to ride. You're his guy, and then he fucks off and yeah. yeah and then i think i ended up working with his little brother alex yeah right yeah wow okay yeah i think i did maybe two seasons with him and uh, did a, a season with shafo check uh, at arian again yep you know i did the uh curtis roberts and nikki hayden team with arian back in my first season with them in in the 90s Man, I've just kind of been all over the place with. Tell me about working teams. with Curtis Roberts, because that dude's a character, right? He's a character, but I mean, we were both like a cartoon character, right? We were both super young back then, and uh-huh. uh, you know, it, it was my first real full season of racing. Okay. Uh, before that, I had did the one race with. Well, actually, I did two races with Doug, and then. Uh, uh, we brought Chris Carr in on a Muzzy Raptor to do a couple of rounds. And so I was Chris's guy at that point. Uh, and then I got that full-time gig with him and it was, it was Nikki and Curtis and we were on a shoestring budget back then. I, Arian racing didn't have nearly the budget they had later on. It looked but, like they had, they, it looked like Arian always had big budget. They made themselves look like they were like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin was all about that and he did a great job of making everything as professional as we could make it with what we had. And we had Rick Hobbs as the crew chief and, yeah, you know, and, and Nikki and Curtis and she, I mean, back then everybody drove to the races, nobody flew. So <laughs> Kevin would be in the truck and <laughs> the rest of us would be in this van hauling ass across country to, to get to the next round. Wow. And, uh, I saw a lot of the country that year and, and saw a bunch of new racetracks, you know, and back then it wasn't uncommon to have 50,000 people on a Sunday at mid Ohio or road Atlanta or something like that. You, you know, you very rarely see those kind of crowds anymore. Kind of miss that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a shame that the sport hasn't, um, continued that, you know, I mean, it seems like. I, I don't know that. Kids want to go to the racetrack anymore. They'd rather sit at home and race on their Xbox instead of going and seeing the real thing or getting involved with it. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's kind of tougher to get those kind of crowds out there. Yeah. Well, participation too, right? I mean, it just seems like it seems like the the kids aren't wanting to do things either, at right? All. Right. Like yeah. at all. I, like, I've, I've got a daughter that's fifteen, and it's like, hey, let's go do something outside. No way. She wants to, you know, bury her face in her laptop and FaceTime with her friends that live two miles away. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's what your opinion would be about that. Just the the evolution of the, the youth or I I think, I don't know, pacification of the youth. That's probably (laughs) a a part of it. I don't think it's all of it. Yeah. But I, I, you know, whenever I, I, left at the end of 19 and decided I wasn't going to race anymore. Uh, there was a bunch of teams that were kind of pulling it. Yoshimura had just announced that they were kind of going away and there were other teams that were going away. And I, 
I go to Laguna every year because that's my home track. That's the closest yeah. one to me. And I just see friends and catch up. And, and the paddock got really small there for a little while. Yeah, it did. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised whenever I came back this year to see that there's a lot of people in the paddock now. It's it's grown. So, yeah, you know, hopefully that kind of continues and we start pulling more fans in. And Well, the bagger thing back helps, right? The bagger thing helps. I, yeah. It, it's amazing the amount of fans that you never saw at the racetrack. Yeah, especially at Laguna. And, right? You know, their, their whole bike club is showing up. And, you know, a lot of times we're the last race on a Sunday and people are staying around for it. It used to be as soon as the superbike race was done, everybody left. Didn't right. worry about the support races and just got the hell out of there. And now they're staying around to, to watch that last race because that's what they're there to see. You're right, man. I mean, you know, like I was saying about Laguna, you know, Laguna, it never you never would, you would see like maybe a few here and there bagger fans. Right. But now it's starting to look like Daytona a little bit, you know, bit, There's, yeah. right. Like, I yeah. mean, not quite Daytona. Like it would be amazing if Laguna could turn into that, but I, I think it know. was last year, whenever I was at Laguna, there was actually more people on the aisle that the baggers were on than the yes. aisle that the super bikes were on in the pack. Right. Yes, spectators, and I thought, wow, this is this is like crazy. I had never expected that. They have a lot more. It seems like that the bagger series overall seems like they have a lot more money behind them too. You know that kind of helps. Anything? I, yeah, if it were true, is it not true? I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you're just going to have. The factory the hard, teams the, the, have yeah, more the money fact than everybody else. Well, there's no factory teams in Motor America, really. Uh, you know, the baggers have factory teams. Baggers have factory teams, yeah. right? And and they've put some money out there, but I, I think if you look at the rules package since the beginning, that Moto America has kind of clamped down on that. You're seeing the technology from the factory bikes kind of spreading out to the rest of the paddock. The uh, the bikes are a lot closer. You're getting different riders up front than you had at the beginning, whenever you had just, you know, the two factory bikes and the two factory riders were killing everybody. Right. Now, I, I think that, you know, the bikes have a little better parity and that you're, you're getting a little more people well, I up mean, front and the racing's well, gotten a lot better in the last. One of your former riders is leading the championship on a non-factory yeah. bike, right? Sure. Yeah. Hayden Gillum, right? Hayden, Hayden's awesome. Good for him. Yeah, um, I, I think if uh, Bobby wouldn't have had the Daytona he had, that we would be up there as well. Yeah, you know, we are the uh, the top Indian in the points right now, and and hopefully in the next two rounds we'll take. Over hey, winning kind of helps with that, right? Winning helps. <laughs> yeah, winning helps, and we're working on consistency. I mean, we can consistently be fast, but. <sighs> We've just had little issues here and there on a, on a Saturday that kind of keep us from doing the double. And I, I really hope that by the end of the year, we can kind of do a double. I, I think right Bobby can do it. And I, I think we've got the equipment now. So I, I'd like to see that happen. So I, I mentioned Hayden Gillum and he was one of your writers. Um, you know, you worked with him when you were on the, the uh, Ridiculous team, right? Yep. Yep. So you got to have ridiculous team stories, right? <laughs> I mean, not really. Like, you were on the Probably you were enough, on the team. Really. You, I mean, you were on the team when uh, when uh, dude's dad like threw a water bottle at 
Yeah, and it was all of that kind of bullshit that went on behind the scenes that year that kind of at the end of the year, I was like, you know what, I'm just so done with this. And yeah, I, I, I just walked away from it. But Hayden and I like what kind of like what what kind of stuff you're talking about that and then Hayden getting penalized for rough riding, which Hayden doesn't have a mean bone in his body. He's like one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. And he's he's just a giant fucking Sasquatch. Like the dude is huge. He's big. and, And to be honest, to to be that size on a 600. I mean, right. he, he had to keep the corner speed up because the acceleration wasn't going to be there. Yeah. And so sometimes there was a little bit of contact in the middle of the corner, but nothing. I mean, fans love to see that shit. None of it was yeah. ever dangerous. But between that was that the last the, season that that class was exciting as far as I'm exciting, concerned. Right. And, and yeah, there's there's still lap records from that season that haven't been beat. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. It, it was a lot of fun. Why do you why do you think awesome. that is? Why, why do you think that is? I mean, there's like, you know, obviously there's thousands in that class now, right? Like it's 750s. Like how, how are they not going faster? I, I don't think there's the talent that was back okay. then. As much as I hate to say that because those guys are out there and they're charging and they're riding the best they can. But I mean, you had, you know, J.D. Beach and Garrett Gerloff and all of these guys that have, have gone on to do these right. great things that were all – and racing with those guys week in and week out just kind of elevates the level of everybody. Right. You know? Right. And, uh, I, yeah. I, I mean, just... it looks like, you know, I mean, like right now, you know, Chavi Forez kind of owns that class, right? He owns I, mean... It. I mean, he's doing great. I had the opportunity before the beginning of the season to go and work for that team and work for him. And I, I was just looking for something different. You just did. You're like, ah, I don't look that good in red. Like, I, I mean, you know what? I've worked on Ducatis for more than 20 years. So I'm a a Ducati master tech or was before I quit working at the dealership. And I've got a lot of experience with them and they run a great program over there. Yeah, they certainly do. I've got so many years in the super sport class and I just kind of was looking for something different. different. When, when Bobby called, I was like, yeah, let's go do it. Yeah. I mean, baggers, super bikes. I mean, the baggers anymore kind of likes super bikes, right? I mean, they're, you got the wheels and the, the suspension and big yeah. brakes, right? I mean, they're super bikes. They just are you can't get attached to a, for those bikes. No, no. I mean, <laughs> dude, I saw it's uh, got a caliper on the rear as big as the front and all three brakes are just being smashed before they get to every corner. Yeah. And you're just like, man, I, I need more brakes. Where am I going to get it? You know? I saw, uh, I saw, uh, Cole King's bagger and he had, uh, he had like a radial Brembo, like monoblock on the, on the rear. On the rear. I was like, yeah. what? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's pretty funny. And, and they're just smashing the hell out of the, the rear brakes on those things to get them to, really? to slow down. Those well, you, bikes are you like 600 pounds. Came, there's 600. I just came off the scales at the end of the race at 629. Weight limit is 620. And you know, that's. It's like 300 pounds more than a super sport bike or a super stock bike. Right. It's nuts. So what, what does that do to the rotors? Uh, we like, go through quite a few of them. You, about two races and they're... The front and the rear? Uh, we haven't worked a rear one yet, but the front ones we've gone through in four races. I think we've gone through two sets. No shit. Wow. Yeah. yeah. See, I always wonder about that kind of stuff, you know? That's yeah. like an interesting insight there you know, with that, 
So, um, so I I hear that you're uh, you're a shooter. Like somebody was like, "Oh, don't ever challenge him to a shooting contest." Like, <laughs> I, tell me I what is to, what's that about? I, I used to spend quite a bit of time with it. Uh, not really recently. I haven't had time to go shooting recently, like the last couple of years. But there for a while, man, it was a couple times a week and pistols and rifles and long range and reloading and all the stuff just it's it's super super technical if to get it right especially at the long range stuff when you're shooting out you know a thousand yards or so thousand yards thousand yards okay <laughs> well i mean you're hitting 18 20 inch targets at, at that range okay all right yeah. that's cool um all right yeah i mean i remember rich used to have that as like part of his school right like you'd have to you'd basically wear you out all day. And then at the end of the day or whatever, he would, ha he would line you up and do target practice or whatever right? on, on like a 22 and you'd have to stand up and hold this big ass heavy <laughs> thing. And I'm like, why is it so heavy? It's a 22. Like what the right. hell? And yeah, um, it, it's not heavy at the beginning of the day. Maybe <laughs> Only not at the end when you're so tired, right? Yeah, maybe right. Yeah, you might, yeah, you might be onto something there. <laughs> You might be onto something there. Um, you know what? Did you, you know, I've heard there's like a lot of um, stories from the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s about um, going to the track and having like rental car stories. <laughs> yeah, people were pretty crazy with rental cars. I, that Not a lot of that happened once, once I kind of came into it. That was kind of being looked down upon. But, uh, yeah, there, there were some crazy stories. I mean, you, 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 know, you we, weren't, we you, weren't part, always, you weren't a participant in these stories. I, I was not actually, I mean, the, the worst thing I ever had. You're happened, such a square, Rob. I know, man. I, you know, well, whenever I worked for Arian, that was like Kevin's first thing. He'd say, when you get a rental car, you do not do anything bad in it because I will fire you if I catch you. Oh, wow. Okay. He was like adamant about it. <laughs> I mean. Kevin was a writer. I'm sure he was there for all of that stuff, you know? Right. But it, it wasn't uncommon. Uh, every Sunday night at every track, back then anyway, there used to be some bar restaurant. And every team, every writer would be there, and it would just be a really good time. And th there were more than once that, you know, there were broken rental cars sitting on the parking lot by the time you left. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were at a, we were at a Laguna event. 20 years ago or whatever. And there was a guy that had come out and he rented like a Kia Rio or something They're like total shit box. And over the course of the weekend, the dude was allowed to park it in the paddock. Like, I don't know how he was able to park it in the paddock, but right. next thing you know, we had people in the paddock during the weekend, jumping up and down on the hood of this thing. And the roof was caved in, the hood was caved in the trunk, all like all the way around. This car was, totaled <laughs> and i'm like dude how's he gonna explain that when he brings it back you know and i guess he said oh i don't know some kids were partying last night and that you know but it's like there's right. i'm sure there's pictures still somewhere of this guy like full on like three foot off three foot in the air like a like the old toyota commercial you know All right so that's pretty crazy um the old rental car stories 
like unfortunately, um, I don't have a whole lot of those. Yeah. So, um, on since you've been in in the paddock for um, as long as you have, what do you think about uh, the return to Brainerd the last few seasons? I know Bobby loves that track. I know a lot of the writers <laughs> love that track. Uh, I did not like that track. Uh, I think the facilities are lacking. Uh, I, you know, it, it's not my decision whether we go back there or not, but I, I hope that if we do, that they make a lot of improvements to the facility before we return. Okay. Yeah. I heard, I heard dirty bathrooms. That's what I heard. Like, I, I didn't even see a regular bathroom the whole time. They were so far away because they had a shove so far in the back. All I saw was porta potties the whole time. But oh, good times. Yeah, oh, yeah, awesome. Uh, <laughs> but ha- having to do grid and goes at the start of a race because the front straight is <clears throat> too hard to get to from the from the pit lane it just seems to me like it's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, you were there. You were there when it was the original Brainerd, right? When it was the original Brainerd, yeah. Yeah. When you didn't let off when you went to turn one, you actually had to gear the bike for turn one. So when you put it on the skinny part of the tire, you didn't over rev the bike. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about tell me about that. Like, it was it better? Was Brainerd better back then, or? Because the walls are still there, right? The, like, so and, and that's the problem as. Back then, for the speed we were going, it was just on the edge of being dangerous. Okay. Uh, as fast as the bikes are now, you could never run that track with all the walls and stuff where they're at. I mean, it, it's it's barely safe enough now. Okay. I mean, you know, I rode on it too, and um, there was a couple of areas, and it seems like they addressed one of the areas for sure. Right. Um, the, the last corner. It, yeah, it, it kind of slowed the lap down, right? I mean, right. you know, I think uh, by by almost a second, they slowed it down, mm-hmm. like about 0.8, right? So, right. you know, that may have changed the trajectory. So they're not like, if they go through there, they're not like pointed at a wall. Like, right. that seems like, I mean, when we drove it in the rental car the first time, I was like, man, I hope we have to use that chicane. Because if you don't use that chicane, you come out of that loop and you're pointed at the wall, dude. Like... Yeah. That's the whole reason why that chicane exists. I think you had so much more speed going into turn one back then that if you crashed with nothing on the outside of that turn, I mean, sometimes you had to go looking for your bike because it would just stand itself up and disappear off into the woods. It'd be in Canada. Uh, Basically. There is a lake on, on the other side of that track. So eventually, you know, maybe you make it there. I don't know. You go fishing, go fishing for it. Sure. But yeah, I mean, the, the people at Brainerd are awesome. Uh, it, it was nice to go back there and, and see it. I, I just really yeah. wish they'd update the facilities a bit. Oh, uh, uh, Les Hansen says, Wilson's on Broadway. Good times. That must be the Yamaha dealership you worked at, right? Yeah, I worked there for, God, almost 18 years before they closed down. It was... Uh... Uh, dude, I lost you. I don't know. I, I don't know if he's on his phone or what, but I lost the connection to Rob. So let's see if I can get him back on. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's the Bobby Fong curse um, hitting him. So I'm going to give him a couple minutes and see what happens. 
but he may have accidentally hung up because he might be on his phone. I'm not sure. So let me ping him and see if I can get it back on. And stand by. Hang on just a second. Oh, there he's back. He's coming back. Hey, there you are. Looks like he's coming back. You actually, yeah, what'd you hang up on me for, man? I, I have no idea what happened there. Just uh, you pulled out or something. You, Bobby Fong did the same thing. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. He had an excuse, though. He was traveling to Canada. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So, w- Wilson, so what What happened there? You said uh, they closed down. Uh, when did they close down? Uh, 2016. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. it was before so COVID. It, it's even. been a while. Yeah, yeah. I, it was just a long history of, you know, things that kind of, you know, we barely made it through the through the turn downturn and all that stuff, and and just it never got back going the way it should have been. It, it was unfortunate. It was a great group of people there. It was the the kind of dealership that real riders went to, and and we had a you know, all these big rides all the time and stuff. And, and the owner was a former racer and all this <laughs> stuff. And it, it was a, a good time. That's a bummer, man. You know, there was, I mean, I, I remember a bunch of dealerships went, went under um, in like 08, 09. Right. So yeah. they made it 98 years. So yeah. That's almost a hundred. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Fortunately, at least the, the name survived uh, the original Wilson family has a dealership not far from here. And whenever that dealership closed, they got their name back. So they were actually able to celebrate their centennial as, you know, the, the original family and all that stuff. And okay. I, I thought that was really cool. Oh, so they still have a shop in town. So the people I worked for bought Wilson's motorcycles from right. Wilson's family back in the eighties. Okay. Okay. Right. And so after it closed down, the original family who had another dealership not far from here, maybe 15 miles or so, uh, were able to get their name back and were able to celebrate their centennial as the, you know, the original family and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. We had pictures hanging up in the shop from, you know, 1919, 1920, 1925 and stuff of of guys working at the same bench that I was working on. It was like, what happens? feel it in that building. What happens to all that stuff? Like, does it just... Uh, well, I mean, it, you sell your franchises off, obviously, and the, right. the new franchisees come and take all of your inventory, your parts, your bikes, and all the tools, and the rest of it just kind of gets sold off. Yeah, that sucks. That's yeah, a it was bummer. unfortunate, but I, you know, I work for a great place now, so you know, no harm, no foul. Are you working? Are you uh, working on baggers by day too, or you... you know, not, not really. <laughs> uh, we don't even sell Indians where we're at, unfortunately. I mean, we sell the used ones, obviously, but okay. we don't sell new ones. But we're a big multi-brand dealer. We've got all the Japanese stuff, KTM, Husky, you know, all the Polaris stuff except for Indian, Can-Am. And, uh, you know, we've got a shop of 14 mechanics in it, and we're just super slammed all the time. 14 mechanics, and you guys are 14 busy. mechanics, and we're just so busy that, you know, it... it probably takes a month to get an appointment to get your bike work done. We're so backlogged. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's, that's good to be busy, right? It's good to be busy, right? Especially in this business. And, 
you know, we're busy enough to where we stay busy in the wintertime when it's cold. So, and most people don't ride much. It's because they know you work there. That's what it is. Nah. Nah. I mean, it, you know, you get these big multi-line dealerships and I think we have 300 employees. We've, we've got cars, we've got trucks, we've got motorcycles, side-by-sides, all the stuff. So, I mean, no, no one person is that important, no matter where you're at. I'm like distracted a little bit. My, my geriatric brindle pit bull over here is coming to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, is there a, is there a writer that, um, that you feel that, you know, was aside from rich Oliver was like, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say the best writer, but like the best to work with, I guess, maybe. Is there like a, a favorite that had you chasing your tail or like a least favorite? Bobby's the most fun to work with for sure. Okay. Hayden was easy to work with and Hayden was easy to work with because him and Bobby like similar setups. Oh, okay. And so the first time I put my setup into Hayden's bike and it was funny because his former crew chief was our data guy. Oh, okay. And, and so, you know, we were all working together and he kept telling me, you know, Hayden likes this, Hayden likes that. And I was like, well, I'm going to kind of try my thing and, and see how it works. See, why not? So I started going softer on the springs in the front, softer and softer and softer. And he's like, you can't run springs like that. And, but Hayden kept going faster and faster and faster. I mean, Hayden's a big boy and there were some tracks. I think we had him on like nine, two, five in the front, which is an incredibly soft fork spring. Yeah. You know, for anybody, let alone yeah. Hayden. So I, I, I come from the Richard camp. It's like, ah, throw 11s in there. I know, man. I, I know. I, I've seen some of his setups and I'm like, wow, man. I, it works. I, I, it you works. can't argue it, it right? Like it, it, it fucking no, works. No, it, but it works for a particular type of writer. Yeah. It's not going to work for every writer. Right. And, and that's the thing that you have to realize is eventually I'll have a writer that doesn't like, because Bobby likes a similar, he'd like, both of them liked a tremendous amount of front feel. Yeah. And if you gave them all the front feel they wanted, they knew if they could put the front where they wanted, the rear would follow eventually. Right. And uh, so in that respect, they were they were totally similar, but not everybody likes that. And yeah. eventually I'll get a writer that doesn't. And, you know, I, I've got a plan for that. You have to mix it, it up a bit. Yet, but I've got a plan for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're just going to get the lotto somehow rings you Bobby Fong every time. So like you're, <laughs> and, and I'm fine with that. Like, you know, everybody thinks that Bobby's difficult to work with and absolutely is not. If you give him the bike he wants, he's yeah. happy and he goes fast and we have a good time. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that about a few riders, right? Like they're, and, and Richard was mentioning this on our, one of our recent shows, but he was saying that, um, you know, about Josh Hayes riding the bike and, you know, Josh has a lot of experience. Bobby has mm -hmm. quite a bit of experience too. And he says, like all exp super experienced riders, they have a particular way they want to set the bike up, a feel that they're looking for. And so they'll go and basically nitpick your bike until they get to where you get it to the way they want it. And so is that, is, is that what you're talking about? Or is it? Well, I, I think if you look at it, every bike, every person, 
interprets what they're feeling from the motorcycle in a different way. Yeah. And they're looking for a particular feedback in, in their senses, in their hands and their feet in, in whatever. Yeah. And I, I think it's ridiculous to take a writer and say, here's your setup. Right. It's worked for this guy. It's going to work for you. Go. Yeah. Because it, you, they're just not getting that level of feedback that they yeah. need to go fast. You know, it's like, it's like a different setup. Bobby, Bobby talking about riding around on Gagne's setup and wondering how the hell he rides with it like that. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Because he's not getting the feeling that he wants. Right. But if you put Jake on Bobby's bike, he'd say, what the hell is this? I can't yeah. ride this. You're right. You know, he's looking for his, his feeling too. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, the, uh, amateur racing trackside suspension dude that, you know, tries to force a setup in, into like every person like, Oh, if you put this setup in there, the, 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 the old sweet numbers bullshit. Right. Uh, <laughs> don't get me started with sweet numbers. Come on. Let's talk about sweet numbers. <laughs> I, I can't even remember who we took the bike to, but we had crashed. Richard crashed his bike. Yeah. And actually it was at that first race yeah. that I went to him with. And he was like, man, the thing needs more trail and we need to take the bike and have it, you know, checked and all this stuff. And so we sent it out to some place and they put it on their machine. And sure enough, it was, had some little kinks in it here and there. And they, they worked them all out and they were like, the, you know, you, you need to let us put our sweet numbers in this chassis. Cause we, oh, that's we got gotta be compu track shit, right? Like it's gotta be copy track, right? I don't even remember who it was. This was you know, <laughs> more than 20 years ago, You're right? but we get the bike. They bring it to the track and we put it up on the lift and the guys, you know, giving us this setting sheet and we're looking at it and we're looking at the old setting sheet and we're like, there's, there's no way this is going to work. I yeah. Mean, there's absolute Rich is like, I'm not even going to ride it like this. Right. And, and we didn't, you know, we, yeah, I mean, they had the back end. So up in the air that like stink bug. Uh, yeah. It's like, this is a 250. You don't need to do that kind of stuff. It's already got steep geometry built into the frame. You don't have to artificially make it even steeper. Right. And uh, we, we took it all out and we put our regular settings back in it. And the bike was straight and off he went. Yeah. That that uh, stink, but, you know, it, that stink bug time, setup was pretty common at Willow. Right. Right. You remember that? So. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But that was a different time with yeah. different tires and different chassis and all of that stuff. And that was, that was kind of a common setup kind of everywhere. I mean, when I, when I first started racing, you know, before I started racing, I, I, um, my, my dad worked with a, with a guy who was, he was a front runner guy at Willow on a thousand and he had just bought the R1. Um, his name was Kevin president. I don't know if you remember Kevin, but he was, he was the black dude at Willow. Okay. Right. So he had the R1 and he was number 37 and I'm number 37 now. And I picked that number because of him. But, um, nice. you know, Kevin, oh. Kevin would run the, like a, a setup where he, he had the forks as far up into the clamps as they would go. And his front end was so low that you couldn't put the lower bearing on. <laughs> right. And, uh, well, and then I mean, the ass end was jacked way up. So the thing was like full stink bug. And somehow he'd go out there and rip like that. I'm like, how do you even ride like that, dude? So. Right. I, I, fortunately for us now, technology's progressed and we have things like Moto Spec where you can yeah. 
put all of your chassis numbers in it and you can look and you can see, you know, if I'm going to make this change, I'm going to put it in the computer and the computer is going to tell me how that one little change is going to change everything on the bike. So now you really start thinking about, man, if I change this, I'm going to have to compromise that. And it, it's a lot different now than it was back then. We were yeah. just pulling stuff out of the seat of your pants. Uh, you know, Stamboli was talking about, we've, we've been talking about doing like a, a series of episodes of this show of, on MotoSpec. Uh, you want to talk a little bit more about MotoSpec, like, like how you use it and that kind of thing? I mean, I, I don't use it as much as I should probably okay. because it's, it's so expensive for yeah. a guy like me. I mean, it's what, like 1500 bucks, 1400 bucks to, to lease it for the season for one year. Yeah. And I mean, unless you can get the team owner to pop for it, I, I can't afford that. Right. Um, but you know, our, our teammate has it and I, I look at it on the weekend. Okay. Fortunately for me, I kind of, because I've been doing this for so long, I, I kind of already have an idea of what the, you know, if I move the fork, it's going to change this. It's going to change swingering. It's going to change all of these things. Right. And I already have an idea just from experience of what's going to, what's going to go on, but it's nice to go over there and confirm or, or to use it to look at, uh, different spring rates versus preloads to get kind of the curve you're looking for in the, in the you know, front wheel force and all those things. But I, I'm sure you, Richard uses it way more than I do. And I, I'm sure you could get Jeff from MotoSpec to come on and talk about it. Yeah, maybe. Way more entertaining than I have anything I have to say about it. Other than, you know, it, it's a great tool and it, and it works. So I'm being asked by Blair Ramey to talk a little bit more about the ZX7RR slash ZX9R <laughs> stuff from back in the day. Uh, Gotta love the yeah. Ramies, right? Well, yeah, dude, I saw yeah. I saw their dad at my track day last weekend. He was right. Yeah. He was out hanging out with somebody, and man, like his his dad's the one that got me started in all of this. Are, are you serious? I'm serious. That's I, hilarious. I worked at a, a small little independent shop, and Craig would come up, and you know he he was way into bikes way before I was. And he, he would always have these cool bikes and he, you know, I, I want these AP brakes put on. I want these PM wheels, whatever it was. He would yeah. always have this cool stuff. And it kind of started as that. And then uh, later on, you know, he had that ZX-9. And uh, we decided that we were going to make like a, a serious race bike out of it. Okay. And so he, uh, he called up Muzzies and he got all of the parts that would fit in that ZX-9 motor from the ZX-7 cams and all this valve train stuff and then we sourced pistons and all this stuff and we built this motor and then we ended up because that fruit that frame had a, a down tube on it the the motor wasn't a stress member okay but the lugs that were there on the head to make it a stress member so what we did is we went to a wrecking yard and we found a an old zx7 that was crashed and we took the frame and we cut the lugs off of the frame bolted them into the engine and welded it up and made the, made the engine and that thing a stress member. And it had like proper super bike forks and shocks and wheels and brakes. I mean, this, this bike was, it was pretty badass. Yeah. And, uh, he found somebody to ride it and, uh, it unfortunately met its demise at, uh, at Willow Springs in turn eight. As I they do. As they do. Right. It actually ended up under the fence. Oh, good like, times. Try, try, trying to go to the other track. And, you know, we destroyed it that way, but 
we had a lot of fun and learned a lot building that thing. Building bikes for Craig was a lot of fun back there. I, you know, I learned a lot and he, he had the money to, to buy all this cool shit and he had all these ideas. And fortunately he picked me to, to help him realize those. And we did that. And, uh, so he was the one that, uh, that pushed me to take, to get the job at Muzzy's. Oh, he, he had been, uh, he had been on me for like months cause they had this job opening in the back when cycle news was like a, a magazine, you know? Yeah. And there was a job listing for Muzzy's in there. It's like, man, you should, you should really go out and, and apply for that. And I, I just didn't. And eventually <laughs> I just got tired of him asking me. I was like, fine, I'll do it. Just if you'll leave me alone. And so I send him off a resume and like two weeks later, I get a call from Steve Johnson at Muzzy's like, Hey, we'd like to have you come up and, uh, and interview for this job. Wow, man. And so Craig drove me up to San Jose and put me on an airplane and said, no way. You know, when you need to ride home, I'll come get you. Dude, that guy, that guy's a cartoon character too, man. Right. Isn't he yeah. like he larger uh, than life, dude. Yeah. I think oh, he was yeah. like a, I think he was like a prison corrections officer or something. Like uh-huh. he was, you know, he was, uh, yep. I guess, uh, had one of those hands-on type of career paths, if you will. Right, right. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know where he got all that money. I, I think yeah, he worked I mean, a he, lot of overtime, I bet. Uh, right, yeah. He, he used to always try to get me to come out there and work in, in corrections. I was like, dude, I wouldn't do that job for a million dollars a year. Dude. You go ahead and do it. I'm having fun working on motorcycles. You yeah. You know. Yeah. Right on. And then of course, as, if I would have done it, I'd have been retired by now. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, some of us are dumber than others, right? We just like, I, I love this motorbike thing, you know, like, I don't think I'll ever be rich, but no, this is a good time. You know, it's, it's a good time. And I don't mind going to work every day to work on motorcycles. I mean, it's not even really work. It's having a good time. Right on, right on. So it's, it's not, it, there's more important things than money in life. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, that Les Hansen person saying that there was almost no kids at Laguna last month. The older biker crowd was the majority of Laguna. I didn't. I, I don't know. I I was in the, I was in the pit with the Attack Yamaha the whole time, so I didn't really make. Note and of we it. were in Garage Number One, as far away from everything as you could get. Yeah. And you know, Laguna is always tough with Bobby for whatever reason. He says he hates it. He's like, I'm like, what do you mean? You like Brainerd, but you hate Laguna? Like, what the hell is wrong with you, man? I don't know why, but we always have a really hard time at Laguna. No matter mm-hmm. what bike we're on. I mean, as far as this last Laguna win, I, I call it a win because we got on the podium on Saturday. And, you know, we had a, a mechanical on uh, on Sunday. We did also crash in the challenge race. So right. we were pretty busy all weekend and I kind of stayed out of of the rest of the paddock, just kind of yeah. trying to keep everything straight. Yeah. Jake's dad and I always walk the vendor row and stuff during mm-hmm. one of the days. And there was a, there, they had the cart track or whatever. There were kids there, but I didn't really, I think they're right. I, I didn't really see a lot of kids at the races like you used to see, you know, like you used to see. Yeah. You know, like, the the paddock was full of adults that are into this sport, but there wasn't a, a bunch of young kids, you know, coming up and asking the writers for autographs like it used to be. Yeah, and you know, oddly enough, I went to uh, the Sacramento Mile 
this last one they had up there. Yeah. And it was kind of the same thing. It was all a bunch of old guys. A bunch of geezers. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't see the, the kids like you used to see out back in the day. And I will um, say this. You know, I went to the Ventura Dirt AFT, and uh, they oversold it like crazy. So there was like standing room only kind of thing in the stands really? during the race. Oh, dude, it was crazy. But there was a there was all shapes, sizes. I even ran into some dude from like um, from Dan Gurney. Oh wow! Dan Gurney Racing. Some guy yeah. was wearing the Dan Gurney alligator gator. Right. You know yeah. the that weird single thing yeah. that he made. Yeah. Yeah, and this old man like worked for Dan Gurney. Pretty crazy. But there was a bunch of kids there too. So that's good. I don't know. I guess it depends on what the answer is. We we need to start getting more fans out to the racetrack for sure. Yeah. I mean, some of the rounds are Road America, I heard, was crazy, right? Fans. There was a lot of people at Road America, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I hear Brainerd's pretty good in fans too, yeah, or no? You know what? I, I didn't see it, to be honest. I mean, there was people there, but I don't know where they hang out and watch the race at, to be honest. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. So I, I, I tried to walk around as much as I can during the weekend to kind of get a feel for what's going on at the racetrack and, you know, see all my old friends out and other teams and stuff like that. But sometimes you just get busy and there's not time to go do it. So so you, you've been in the paddock for multiple eras of professional racing here in America. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you were with the old AMA days, you, you know, when there was like Chevy trucks as the sponsor and that kind of stuff, you experienced the DMG uh, NASCAR era where they tried to do rolling starts. Yeah. uh, Pit uh, pace car shit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and then with with motor America and, you know, what do you think of how, how things have gone? You know, was there a way that you prefer? Do you think Motor America is doing a good job or? Okay. He's gathering I, his words. Yeah, everybody. No, no, I, 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 <laughs> I think they could do more. Right. Right. Uh, the, the AMA era was, it was just a different time, man. There was yeah. a lot more money in the sport. There was factory involvement and, and all of that. So there was a lot bigger crowds and there was, you know, you had 10 or 12 guys in, in super bike that could win on any given weekend. And as soon as they get off the super bike, they'd go through a leg on the 600 and they'd go race those too. Right. And so it, it was a lot different back then than it is now. There was a lot more money in it. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot more sponsorship opportunities from outside the motorcycle industry and it, you just don't see it now. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate. Yeah, the the uh, the Maladin era, right? It was like the millions of dollars salaries type era, right. and where now it's that anymore. nowhere near that. And um, yeah, tenth, yeah, if that, right? If that, a right. lot of riders. I, I mean, most of the rides are paid rides, right? Paid or free, right? Right. Yeah, that's got to be difficult for the guys to ride for free. But like, you know, a guy like Bobby, I, I've spoken to Bobby quite a bit. I've, become pretty good friends with him and he's like dude i i gotta like pay i gotta be an adult and like be able to pay rent and stuff like i can't right i can't do this shit for free man like i right. i have i have bills to pay I, nor should he i have right. to have a life mm-hmm. so 
it's got to be tough for the guys on that end of the thing, you know? I mean, you, right. I mean, you've got these guys that are out there paying for a ride or they're, they're riding for free in the hopes that they're going to get like one of three or four paid rides. Right. You know, there's just not enough opportunity in the paddock anymore and, and they really need to try to fix that. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. You don't, you got an idea at least you got a Rob Ward idea of how to, I mean, it, it all comes bring down the money to the same in? thing, right? It's, it's money. Yeah. If you find the money, the opportunity will show up. Uh, it's all got to start there. Okay. You know, as far as I can tell. And then from a, from the perspective of actually running the series, how do you, how do you think that's going with the, with... I, it's better than it was when they first started. Yes. Right. Yeah. But totally. There's, there's still room for improvement. They're, they're making the right moves. I think uh, bringing Rick Hobbs in is, was a smart choice. Rick's a smart guy. And yeah. once he's starting to find his footing and, and making some, starting to make some really good calls and good for him. Yeah. I just hope they continue in that direction. They just keep finding the right people. Well, it seems like, it seems like uh, they're kind of growing a little bit. Like you said, you yeah. know, it's not as empty yeah. as it was when they kind of started. Right? right. So, you know, it seems like, and you know, maybe this is just my off the wall opinion, you know, who the fuck am I? Right. But it seems like, you know, the last year or so they've kind of exposed some things in their rules and organizationally that need to be addressed and they're trying to address them on the fly. And, you know, right. somebody, somebody ends up with shit on their face at some point. Right. And then they're mad right. and you know, whatever. Right. So, yeah, and, and I think I was a victim of that uh, at Daytona with Brandon. Okay. Uh, oh, you know, oh yeah, Daytona. Yeah, yeah. It, it cost us a, a, a podium. But, okay. You know, they they addressed it at the very next round. They said, "Look, uh, this wasn't maybe the right call, and in the future, we're going to do it this way." Right. So, I mean, yeah, it hurt at Daytona, but at least they recognized their mistake and moved forward for it. And at least they're trying new stuff. Oh, absolutely. And you the know, thing not, is, like, not afraid to make the mistake. You know, this isn't a shit on Motor America show at all. Like, I'm no, a huge fan right. of them, and I think they're doing a great job. But at the same time, you know, when when things are fucked up, we're gonna say it's fucked up, right? So, sure. um, you know, like the thing at Daytona was weird. It was super weird, right? It was weird. Um, and, but it, that that uh what they did was they went by their rules right and it's like rules, it's like did, did anybody read them before <laughs> right right i i just don't think there was enough of that rule there it was like yeah this but but what if this you know yeah uh, it, it it definitely cost us the podium but whatever uh so I, uh, i'm over it now i wasn't at the time i was pretty upset about it you were pretty heated but I don't think you were as heated as Pashi was. Pashi was really heated, right? Yeah. He took to social media and was like, "No, <laughs> right." But I, I mean, and, but and what are you gonna, they, you know? Changed it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like I mean, there there's been a few other things, and it's you know, sure. last minute rules yep. changes and updates, like that kind of shit should probably stop. Um, you know, I don't know, but um. I, I think they're doing the best they can with yeah. what they have to work with. And like you said, the, the sport is finally, after a few years of, of a downturn, it's starting to, to grow again. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's been rumors of a of another team joining the paddock next year in Superbike. So, I don't know. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. you know, I don't know if if that's true, but you know, I've been hearing. I've you, heard. You never know for sure until you find out. Yeah, until you see them the roll race, in at right? Daytona, right, or, or whatever, right. or Road Atlanta. Yeah, it was like that whole Orange Cat thing. I I wasn't expecting that. We we went to that test down at uh, yeah with Butt Willow, and I was like, "What is this?" Who, you know, but they've got great riders and they've yeah. got a great crew and they're yeah you know, one, two in the championship right now for super stock. And well, that I, orange cat know. dude, he, uh, he sponsored, um, the team that Ezra rode for last year, the motorsport exotica team. And, you know, I, I had a chat with them during that test that you're talking about. I, you know, he yeah. came up timing scoring. We shot the shit for a little bit, the team owner. And he was saying that he kind of, he kind of sponsored that team because he's super into racing and he thought that that would be a good way to take a look at what he needs logistically to accomplish the team. Mm-hmm. So after the season was over, he was like, oh, I'm going to do my own team now. So like that's, yeah. but I think he's like a Chicago area kind of club race program, you know, like, uh, like the feel like a pro thing out here. Right. He does something like that in, you know, at, wherever that track is near Chicago. What's it called? Um, I forget. <laughs> I, I do too. I, yeah. I've never actually been to it. I haven't either, but I, they talk about it all the time. I just, yeah. I have a really bad short-term memory. So Bobby went and tested the, uh, the 675 there after the whole triple crown thing exploded and he was out without a ride. He all right. That. So Craig says, uh, uh, he's like, love you, Dustin. My best bunkie. I'm like, what? The- <laughs> God. Craig is a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he says that ZRX 1100 was Robert's best build. That was a cool bike. ZRX 1100? What's that? It was the... Is the- it that vintage looking thing? Yeah, it kind of looked like the old... KZ one thousand, right? Yeah, yeah. With a more modern motor in it, he, he had he had one that was pretty tricked out. Yeah, had all the like Tasugi racing stuff on it. And oh, of course. It was, it was in, uh, I think the Makuni calendar one year. What? <laughs> yeah, no, it was a sweet bike. That's hilarious. I, I still think my favorite one was the ZX nine, though. As cool as the the ZRX was, I think the ZX nine was my favorite build. I yeah, Craig. Craig's saying Blackhawk Farms. I don't think it's Blackhawk Farms, dude. No, I don't. It's something don't else. So I, I mean, I, I guess I could text my Chicago guys, but yeah, it's Audubon. Audubon. Maybe. Yeah, Audubon's the track that that dude yeah. hangs out at. So, yeah. Thanks for saying Blackhawk Farms. I don't know why I, I. Yeah, I, I kind of thought Blackhawk, but I know that's wrong because. It's not even in around Chicago. Right. Right. Kinda. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh yeah, it's Audubon. So anyway, um well, you know what, Rob? We're at like an hour and fifteen already, bro. Sweet. <laughs> Dude, super fun chat with you, man. Um yeah. when, when's your when's the next round for uh for the bagger class? Texas? Like Texas, yeah. All right. Well, I guess I'll see Looking you in Texas. All right. We'll yeah. see you then. I'm, um, you know, I'm Richard's social media bitch or whatever, right? So I got to go to go there and run all that. And 
but I'm sure I'll be running around. Maybe I'll scumbag you into going to barbecue with me or something with me and Gil. Yeah. I know some really good places to eat. Do you? Austin. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let me know what you want to eat and I'll, I'll tell you the place. Well, I know, I, I mean, I've been there before and I know it's all about breakfast tacos and barbecue, right? Like that's the thing. Yeah. So, but, and you're going to be busy working and, you know, doing the Bobby Bagger dying thing. Dying in the heat, right? You know, well, that dude, Richard was saying that they had a test, they did a test Monday, yeah. Tuesday. And he's like, dude, yeah. the hardest thing was like going to the restroom when it, and there's no air conditioner in the restroom. Right. <laughs> it's like, what? So. Thank God we have a garage for that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because. I, I don't know if you've seen our race setup or not, but it's basically a sprinter van with a couple of easy ups, you know, like they did it in the, in the seventies. Well, yeah. Our, our whole, everything is packed inside of the sprinter van front to back, top to bottom pit bikes, race bike toolboxes. It's, it's a mess. That's, that's, uh, that's real racing though. Right. Let's get yeah, throwback to back in the day. It, right. Very old school. The only thing that you're missing is sleeping in that same van. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Like uh, on any Sunday shit, right? Like yeah. Mert, Mert Lowell style, yeah. right? Yeah. So, well, right on, Robert. Uh, good times, man. You know, yep. I'll, I'll see you in Texas. I wish you the best of luck, man. It's been fun chatting with you. Thanks for having me on. It was good. Yeah, man. Good times. Yeah. And I'll see you in Texas. All right, bud. Peace. All right. So I've stopped recording. You're at okay. 99.